Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Loudwire Podcast. I know this voice doesn't sound familiar to you, it's usually Graham's, but it's not. I'm Joe, as you know. Graham is recording Wikipedia Fact or Fiction for all you truth fiends out there, and we're going to be talking about corn today. So Graham's with head right now, but sitting in front of me is Monkey, one of the original corn members, main songwriter. Had to shoulder it all when he was on his own. Now heads back in the band, fully entrenched. They've got the Serenity of Suffering coming out. We're going to get to the nitty gritty on that one for you guys. And today's rocker versus writer topic, very simple. What makes a band metal? It seems obvious. It's the question nobody can seem to answer. And Jonathan Davis even said in 2012, Corn has never been a metal band. So we're going to find out what that's all about. Try to define the music that we love so much. Get ready, turn it up. It's time to sit down and shout. So I'm here with Monkey from Corn. Yes, sir. All right. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm Glad good. Here. Just rolling around the city, doing press for the new record and played last night. It was crazy. Yeah, and then you got another gig coming up and yep. winding down the tour. Yeah, we Rob have a Zombie. few more shows left. Rob Zombie in this moment. It's been it's been crazy. I was telling Rob's wife the other night, I was like, man, this has been probably one of the best tours of our career. It seems like everybody's having fun doing the co-headlining thing these days. Yeah. Like touring festivals not happening as much anymore. You know, you got Slipknot I mean, doing a co-headliner. You, know, you guys are doing a co-headliner. It's just, it just makes sense these days. You know, the business changes is all. It has always been changing so rapidly that you kind of got to go where it is, adapt and move on. Yep, just adapt. And I mean, thirty-five million records sold. You guys have that. How many we sold? <laughs> that's what something uh, like that's that. That's what the internet said. So the Wikipedia. Yeah, we'll probably clear, answering that question. Yeah, now. we'll get that cleared up. So you get the new album, The Serenity of Suffering, coming out, and it's interesting because you guys have been saying the whole time leading up to the release, it's going to be a heavy one. Going back a little bit to the earlier sound, kind of like the first four albums. And one thing I noticed when I was listening to it is it's darkly melodic. And there's some moments that kind of sound uplifting, like a light in the darkness. Um, Now, kind of trying to channel that older sound, but still writing from the heart. Obviously, you guys are in a different mental space than you were in the earlier days. So do you think that's why some of those more kind of partially uplifting moments creep into the music? I think it's definitely a um, a reflection of how we write songs now, as opposed to that the time when we didn't we didn't know we just like you know let's do this part now let's play this part you know mm-hmm. now there's a sense of actual songwriting skill that goes behind uh, what we do and kind of playing to each other's strengths along yeah the way. and and then let's let's kind of like we have our canvas let's let's paint where we want things to shine and where where what sort of dark areas of the song do we want to um bring you know um mm-hmm. on a creative side of of making a record it's always we wanted to have peaks and valleys we wanted to kind of yeah peaks just, and valleys light and shade yeah and just kind of look at it as as what it would be visually as to a listener, well, what do you want them to kind of envision? Yeah, a little cinematic. Yes, and that's kind of how we we looked at this whole album. 
And we want the heavy moments to be really heavy, but in contrast, having those more major like chord progressions or Mm -hmm, lighter moments kind of, you know, stand on their own. Yeah, you can only know darkness if you have light. You can only know light if you have darkness. So, and that's a lifetime of experience right there. (laughs) A little bit of what Ryan James Dio is always talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, did performing. The, your debut album in full on tour kind of get you back a little bit in the mindsets for writing this one? I think so. I'm, You know, our producer came out, Nick Raskolinix, he came out with us on the road, and this was all... I mean, Head and I started writing riffs for the record in June, and um, that was last year, and originally we started writing those on seven or on eight-string guitars, Oh wow! I know. So it was like we were try- already trying to kind of like push ourselves create- creatively and, and get us into a place where we we felt like we were making a jump. You know, mm-hmm. um, we did like three songs. We did com- you know demoed three songs completely uh, before we let anybody hear them. And it was uh, I think I'm getting off subject, but anyways, um, we did we it's did a podcast them. ramble. Yeah, so we did them and um, kind of played them for the producer, Nick Raskolinix, mm-hmm. who came out with us on the road during all this touring. It was kind of a mishmash of, well, we're going to tour, we're going to make a record, and we're going to keep touring, and then when we get home from touring, we're <laughs> going to make a record. And it was like, we're going from L.A. to Nashville to Bakersfield to... <laughs> it was, man, all over the place. So it was def- we definitely needed Nick, our producer's help, in focusing our energy. And I think with him coming out on the road on that 20th anniversary mm-hmm. tour, he was able to kind of harness that and see what the crowd reacts to and, you know, and... Um, Get a better sense for where you were going with everything. Yeah, and I think that helped kind of like, man, you know, and, you know, he sat us down at, in the beginning of this thing and basically told us, like, as a as a fan, you know, as a, as a fan of your band for, for many years... He's like, what happened to the heavy guitarist? What happened to the back and forth thing with with you and Head? You know, what, mm-hmm. where, you know, this is a meeting that Head and I had with um, him, and he's like, where's the, the the angry screaming vocals over the heavy riffs? You know, where's Fieldy's bass? Like, where's his bass? <laughs> like, his, you can't even hear his bass anymore. Like that slapping thing that you know so many people love, including me. So kind of the hallmarks that he yeah, and, he, being and he's like sounds. as a fan, he got, he kind of put his neck out there, like in the, in the sense that like we may not like what we were about to hear, you yeah, know, definitely. but he was like willing to take that chance and be honest with us, and you know, some of it was difficult to hear, but he was right. I mean, in, in making records, you sort of you want to keep things creative, you want to keep things fresh, you want to keep going and evolving and making things you know just feel like you're making progress along your career especially when it spans over 20 years i think yeah. that you've got to kind of like where am i uh where am i headed with this you know and you know we we did a like you said the path to totality we kind of uh we kind of took a left turn you know just to kind mm-hmm. of shake it up and experiment and try to work with some different people and upcoming producer dj guys and um that was fun and i learned a lot from that actually i learned a lot as far as how to incorporate electronics in into our genre of music 
the mm. right way. And have that crossover mentality. Yeah, and have that just a, a breath of fresh air, of creative, new, you know, a different mindset working with like Skrillex and stuff. A lot of people were turned off by it, but for us, creatively, it was a big leap forward into something that was new, and, you know, Jonathan was super inspired by it, and... um, And, I mean, when you've been around for nearly 20 years, by the time you start that album, like, you've earned the ability to kind of go off a little bit and try something new, and if the fans don't like it, like, hey, that's fine, there's going to be more corn albums, but after a certain status, you you kind of earn that ability to be able to do that, and not... Not a lot of bands have that leverage and that room to play with with their fans like that. I know. Our our fans are super forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so even if they didn't like it, it's like, okay, I don't like this album. But I have 10 other albums that I love. And there's going to be more coming later, and too. And this one that we did sort of was... We played on... You know, Nick Raskolinix, our producer, was able to point out those things and, and lay them out in a way that... Look, you can still do, you know, the weird guitar noises. We could still do the heavy riffs intermixed with this electronic sound that's not mm-hmm. overpowering, that's not dominating the whole track. And that you guys can actually use this to your advantage as to what you already do. And if you listen to a lot of early hip hop, I mean, we were just mimicking a lot of the Cypress Hill and yeah, NWA. That's out of your realm and, to begin with. You know, when you think about it, industrial stuff and, you know, we're trying to use some of those elements, even on tracks like Helmet in the Bush, where there's just drum machine. That's basically a drum machine song that you're hearing. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of using all of our strengths. And he was able to kind of put it in a perspective where it's like everybody can have what they want. The fans can have what they want. You can have a record that you're all proud of. Mm hmm. And you just, it just have, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. hard work. And it, it was, it was. No, on the Serenity of Suffering, would you say, I mean, a producer is always a bit of a silent member of a band for each album, but would you say he was a little bit more involved than producers in the past, kind of leading you in that direction? And hey, where's this? Where's this? I think he definitely was a louder voice than we have had. Mm-hmm. Um... And he definitely, when there were certain things when uh, he wanted to incorporate or not incorporate certain elements, Mm -hmm. he was, he put his foot down, you know, it was like, this has to happen or we can't have that, you know, it was like, (laughs) man, you know, um, but I think really he, he was a key element in bringing out those heavy riffs and and getting a really strong aggressive album overall definitely i think there's a lot of melodies there's a lot of dark melodies in it um but he he was actually really good at mediating between um getting jonathan in front of the microphone to like all these songs that we wrote and kind of going through and kind of just i don't know spelling out his the 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 way that he thinks the album should sound or his vision of the album mm-hmm. um, because at so. first it was difficult when when Nick and Jonathan heard some of the demos that we, Brian and I had done on eight string guitars it was uh, they were like hmm I don't know <laughs> it was kind of a nice way of saying nah they didn't like it 
you know it's like man we, and we were pumped because it was just so fresh for you know we, anything that you play on eight string guitar sounds awesome especially when you're by yourself you don't have the bass to fill out everything yeah and it's just like <laughs> head and i are just in unison playing these eight string guitars it was to me it was sick <laughs> and still you know maybe we'll do something like that a track in or two in the future but when they heard it there's just like i don't know it doesn't sound like corn I know this hmm. is they're like I know this is you and head and it sounds like and these are corn riffs these are corn riffs doesn't... but it just doesn't sound like corn and then Jonathan <laughs> just couldn't imagine himself singing over it so it was like okay let's try to let's do the redo the demos on seven string guitars to our typical tuning and um, and see if it, it sparks see any it yeah and that that helped a lot and I think that started to get Jonathan interested in stepping up to the microphone and singing on the songs. Especially with him, you know, it's going to be a very convincing performance the way with his vocal style with everything. So it's like if he's not ready, it's you really need to tap into something in his mind that just flicks that switch and then, you know, you get what we all know him to be. Yeah, because it, it as soon as you you're right, as soon as that switch goes off, it's like it just pours out of him. Mm-hmm. You know, and then whatever that uh and you never know what it could be. It could be uh, the electronic element. It could be a riff. It could be just a chorus that he feels. And then once he gets into it, it's uh, no holding him back. That's for sure. Mm. Let's get to some rocker versus writer here. Um, we were talking about the path of totality, yeah. And one interesting thing um, around that album cycle was that Jonathan said, "Corn has never been a metal band." So our topic today is going to be mm. the very simple topic: what makes a band metal? So, what in your eyes defines a metal band, or what stylistic? trappings or certain things like this keep a band from actually being defined as metal i don't know but the comment i i know what he means by by corn has never been a metal band in the sense that we're not trying to be follow suit with certain things like just heavy metal like we're just gonna play distortion you know we're mm-hmm. just you gotta just play you know yeah, it's like, oh, we only listen to Slayer and Cannibal No, Book no, because we yeah, listen to everything. Uh, we listen yeah, to, definitely. And you can hear it in our songs. Um, yeah, because you've got all the bass parts are obviously so hip-hop inspired. Totally. And it seems like with Korn, every individual member has such a wide range of influences that now when they bring that to the table, sure, metal's a commonality. Right. But it's all the other factors surrounding that that keep it from being, you know, Korn is not just a metal band right so and, and i think just us trying to be individual and then as individuals bringing those different characteristics to the forefront of our songwriting i mean i think what defines a metal band is always trying to do something new that nobody's doing you always feel like mm-hmm. you, you know and the, i think all a lot of fans that listen to metal are always the outcasts or in society we always kind of like walking around the street with the you know long black hair yep. dressed in black <laughs> and and those we're just you know that's the way we express ourselves and i think that's if you're being true to your expression in your art mm-hmm. 
whatever it is, I think that's metal. That's that's metal to me. It's just metal, being, the rock and roll, rebellious yeah, like, spirit, counterculture. Totally, just being completely open with your with who you are and, and expressing that through whether it's music or art or you know. And it's very interesting because corn have always been associated with the new metal tag. Um, yeah, even you know attributed to starting the entire genre. And there's so many fans that will argue that new metal is not even considered metal, even though the word metal is in the genre tag. Um, you've got bands like System of a Down, and then it branched out to bands like Crazy Town. Whoa. And yeah, yeah, I don't get that one. I don't get that one. <laughs> but it seems like it applied to really just any band that took influences from rap and hip hop and combined them with heavy, downtuned, distorted rhythms. And that seems like kind of an unfair critique because it's so general and blanketed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's a band for you that many would consider metal that you don't consider to be a metal band? Mm-hmm. Other than maybe Korn. What band what? What band do you consider to not be metal that many people would consider to be a metal band, if any? Um, Faith No More. Ooh, I think they 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 not they don't try to be metal. Their riffs are heavy. Um, they don't try to be anything, and they, they wind just, up being everything. They're awesome. I love that band. I, I've, they've been a huge inspiration through many years, and to see them come back and make another record has been just watch them do the whole cycle again mm-hmm. has been pretty cool to watch and see. And um, hey, you don't get much weirder than Mike Patton. Man, he's, he's <laughs> one of my heroes for sure. That's that guy's just awesome he's everywhere and just doing so many things all the time so many projects mr bungles one of my all-time favorite bands Mm -hmm. um just uh yeah that that's that's another band that's heavy and not mr bungle is a perfect example of someone that they yeah you could be heavy without being metal i know they're just super dark and even the 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 common thing i think is just like that dark sarcastic kind of dark humor that yeah, that they have like sense of humor. It's just it's pretty metal. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing, Corey Taylor, who you obviously know pretty well, yeah, um, he's said that you know Slipknot is its own genre. And when we had Zach Wilden on the podcast, we were talking about Black Sabbath and the origins of heavy metal, and we both actually agreed that Judas Priest was the first metal band, and that Sabbath is really its own genre, at least. The, the first six, eight albums with Ozzy. After that, a little more traditional metal. But I think the same could be applied to Korn, where these bands are doing something that is just so completely different than what anybody else is doing. And again, it goes back to bringing in so many different outside influences to the table that it's, you know, we're not a metal band, we're not a rock band, we're Korn, we're yeah. Slipknot, we're Black Sabbath. Right, you're just taking influences that, you know, you grew up as a kid or movies that you've watched and and maybe moments in your childhood that weren't good weren't so good or good and you're just combining those things into however it is you express it on your instrument and it's a chemistry between that and the other members and then you got what's an individual sounding unique band yeah, its own entity you don't even have to try to sound like another band because you're gonna be if you just use that mm-hmm. formula you're going to have a, a unique sounding band no matter what. Definitely. I think it's when bands start to kind of follow another band or do something that another band's doing too much 
mm-hmm. instead of it, letting that influence influence them in a in such a strong way that it becomes they've they've sort of morphed into something they're not. You know? Yeah, like I was watching something with Alex Skolnick breaking down a guitar. Oh, I love solo, that guy, and uh, he's amazing. He's such a cool dude too. We get to um, we actually presented this show with Metal Allegiance where they played all of Deep Purple's Made in Japan, and I oh, got to wow. watch Alex Skolnick play Richie Blackmore music three feet in front of my face. Holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> but I was watching crap. him deconstruct one of his solos, and he was saying, you know, there's this little lick, like this little three note part, and he's mm-hmm. comparing it to some like classic rock greats, and you know, this is what they did, and he's like, so this is this part, this is this part, this is this part. Wow! So you take those three individual parts put it into your own style in a solo and that's bringing in the influences without really imitating right too much. right right that's pretty dope that guy's that, that, uh, that guy's amazing <laughs> guitar player man he's phenomenal he's from here huh uh yeah he's he from brooklyn in, yeah he lives in brooklyn that's right so yeah it's nice we had him uh, in a couple times it's like, i yeah, saw it him feels a, like home <laughs> i saw him a couple maybe it was a couple years ago already but we did a festival together about a year ago and him and like Jeff Loomis are watching from the side of the stage corn. Oh wow. I'm just like I'm super nervous, you know? <laughs> like, like, and then what do I got to nervous about it? I just you know, this we're just do rock and bar chords, but it's the intensity I think that Yeah, it's the it's, passion that we play with when you see corn live, I think. We've always oh, been absolutely. such a such a live and paid so much attention to our live show. Mm-hmm. Because you can go and record music that's super intricate, and but when you, we always wanted to trans, translate live. I yeah. remember seeing bands like Rage Against the Machine back in the day, seeing the energy, boom, the crowd jumping and just or the riot that they started. I don't know nothing about that. Yeah, they started the riot at uh, DNC a few. Um, oh yeah, right around the turn of the millennium. So you see that energy, but I mean, it's more than just playing barred chords because you have to be lockstep with yeah, that you kind be of tight. rhythmic music. You got to be tight. So, last bit about the rocker versus writer thing with what makes a band metal. Um, we discussed the counterculture, and really, to me, it just seems like it's an instinctive thing. It's either metal or it's not. Like, there's got to have the integrity behind it, the heart. The you got to have culture. Yeah, anti mentality. You got to be putting your you got to have your chops down. You got to have your band tight. You got to have every time you you know you hit it hit a drum or a cymbal. You have to mean it. I really think that mm-hmm. you have to mean it. You have to bring that fire with every Yeah, with if you're not trying to break note, your sticks, you're not playing hard enough. I mean, you know, there's a there's <laughs> a thin line there because again, you have to think about the band playing being tight yeah you don't want to but go still through t- like you're hitting the guitar but... <laughs> string so hard that it's going out of tune so there's a fine line between you know breaking all your shit and still maintaining what is to be a song yeah you know <laughs> so that's rocker versus writer everybody and then let's go a little bit more back to just some corn stuff okay um you guys were huge on mtv it's crazy in the early days. It's crazy to see now they don't even play videos. Well, they do a little bit. Yeah, there's the MTV classic that's bringing it back. But one really thing that's pretty funny that happened recently, I don't know if you saw this, was that the VMAs announced the nominees for Best Rock Video. I didn't see it. The whole ceremony happened, never announced the winner. What? 
Never not. It was like a day or two before the they actually announced who the winner of the category was. Really? Yeah. So who won? Um, I forgot who it was. I don't remember. That good, huh? Here. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> um, but for a station that you know gave corn and all these bands so much coming up, and then the '80s, all the glam and even the other metal going up through there. Is it kind of frustrating to see these huge institutions just continuously snub rock and roll and metal and bands like Korn? I mean, the Grammys, they're all over the place with what they do with rock and metal, nominating live songs that were recorded 35 years ago, stuff like that. And then now you got MTV who gave all this stuff a voice. You guys a voice. And they forgot to even announce who won the category. Does it, yeah, is that frustrating? It, it is frustrating. And... It, it, it's kind of like what are you gonna what are you gonna do? You just all you got to do is make the connection between you and the fans, mm-hmm. and you make that, and the media will pay attention eventually. You know, I think that's kind of if you scream loud enough, it, it doesn't even matter. You don't have to scream directly at them. You just it's just like you, we're just focused and and carving our niche. Still, we're not worried about getting anybody's attention except for our fans. We want our fans to love this band as much as we love and appreciate them for all their loyalty. And they, and especially on this record, on this new record, we want to give them the heavy riffs and, you know, mm-hmm. pay attention to what Nick was saying as a, as a fan, as an outsider. Yeah, because he was speaking for them. He was speaking for them. He's like, man, I want to give the fans what they want. He <laughs> said that to me like three or four times. And... um I think if you're just carving your niche, carving your niche and, and doing what's great and what you know is tr- true to your heart, the cameras will turn to you. And if they don't, well, then it's they're, they're lost, that they're, they're not going to shine light on something that deserves to be shined mm-hmm. on. And when I see we're out on tour right now with Rob Zombie, I mean, we're selling 15,000 tickets a night. It's crazy, and then there, you don't see any rock on TV. You don't see any it's sort just of existing on its, its, its own. Crazy, but, whether you but it's crazy, but it's alive. It's really alive, and I think it's kind of cool because it's like almost an underground scene again. You it know? does feel like that. I mean, even like you said, you know, you're selling 15,000 tickets a night, and there's all these bands selling, like Slipknot are just crazy. They're killing huge. it. They're killing and, it. And, I mean, there is a little bit of the alternative rock radio play and stuff like that, of course, But still, most of this, like you said, is still very underground. And to see something happening on such a big a scale, like you've got these huge European festivals, you know, Rock in Rio, 250, 300,000 people. It's crazy. And it's, you know, it's it's crazy because it's only in the U.S. It's only in the U.S. that whenever we go to Europe, whenever we go to South America, whenever we go to anywhere else, it's like mega stardom. Yeah, it's It's more crazy. You can't even walk down the street. Like mm-hmm. there, there's, there's fans camped outside of the hotel. It's like the freaking Beatles. Like Beatlemania, yeah. It's crazy. Um, but in America, they just have a different. Uh, everybody follows the trends and and everything in America, and that's the way it is. Listen, and there's nothing wrong with us being trendsetters as Americans. That's what we do. We 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 create stuff, and the world follows a lot, a lot that of those true. trends. So. The American media seems to follow those trends wherever they might go. Mm-hmm. And they do it for whatever, you know, a lot of corporate 
uh, commercial money, yep. wherever it might be, you know, and it's uh, <clears throat> that's the monster. It is whatever you know. You got to feed the monster, for lack of a better term. Um, and but I, I really believe that uh, the pendulum swings. I think that rock. Oh, it's, I see, listen, it's definitely it's on, on the upswing. upswing. It it's definitely on upswing. And you see, you see, like our show, we, you know, the tickets that we sell every night and um, other bands and uh, different commercials. I see car commercials using old rock songs now mm-hmm. again. And uh, I even see DJs that are creating music that they're hiring musicians so they can do live shows, which is cool. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I never imagined that would happen. You know, but they're getting kind of just working in the box and, you know, they're actually hiring a drummer. Mm-hmm. They're hiring a guitar player, these DJs. Interesting. And yeah, and they want to put together a live band based on... They want some realness They want some realness and organic uh, feel to their shows. And That's so a good sign. It is a good sign. And um, so all I... I'm just... Uh, it's frustrating to, to... It seems like a fight that shouldn't need to be fought in 2016. It again. I think it's just they're gonna. Hip hop is such a big element in in the world of music too, mm-hmm. and even even country music is getting like more love than rock. Oh, definitely. Because country's kind of crossed over a little bit of country pop. You know, and... the country. I see a lot of the country stars doing a lot of stuff we did in the nineties. Like what? Just like stage shows and living in excess. Hmm. The whole kind of again, like stereotypical hundred trucks and buses, and I'm like, this is kind of crazy. We yeah. just we did that in the '90s, you know. It's like, yeah, the stereotypical rock star. Yeah, and it's just like even some of the clothes are wearing. I'm like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> metal's a fashion statement now. Hey, you but, know, uh, but uh, I think it's just um, it's the nature of the way the the the, the ups and downs of the industry. Mm-hmm. And definitely. I think, uh, but I definitely think rock music is on an upswing, and that you're going to be seeing a lot more of it. But it's kind of cool because you're listening to a genre of music that's kind of underground now. Yeah, I always thought that when my favorite under underground band was was underground, that it was cool. When it became successful and the media was all over it, it was when I was like, eh, this is not cool anymore. But it exactly. looks like uh, we're out of time here. But I want yeah, to, monkey, we gotta go, bro. There's that's head. head. That's <laughs> head. He's 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 taking me out of here. I gotta I gotta get out of here. We gotta go. All right. Gee. Got pizza. Got meatballs. Everything's ready for the road. I want to thank you guys so much for coming in here, giving us some of your time. Right on. We're talking about metal new corn album, the Serenity of Suffering. It's heavy. Pick it up. <laughs> Hopefully right. we've got a few South Park fans out there. Of course we do. The corn was on South Park. Oh yeah. Corn, I think debuted. They debuted falling away from me on South Park. I think it actually debuted on South Park. So. Oh my god. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But yeah, uh, yep. I had an awesome time with Head over there. Um, how was the podcast? I don't know what it sounds like. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, you guys <laughs> popped in at the end there when we were just talking yeah. about. Uh, Metal being fashion statements and country music and oh what? yeah what about it, country music? Um, well, we're talking about how the VMAs forgot to announce oh, yeah, the winner yeah. of the best rock video category, 
And then just how frustrating it is that metal doesn't really have a voice in the mainstream. Even though, I mean, it's big, but it's not mainstream, but it's in that weird kind of state. But um, Monkey was actually saying how he noticed a lot of country stars these days are acting like they did in the 90s. Just like huge rock star egos, these like crazy amounts of equipment, 18-wheelers, all these elaborate stage shows. So, I mean, I, I guess that's cool. You know what's funny? It's... Ice T actually said that exact same thing to me once. He said the um he said that country music and punk and hip hop have a lot of things in common. He was like, uh, country we've they've got like the black hat cowboys, where in hip hop we've got like the rhinestone cowboys, and then they've got their pickup trucks. We've got our low riders. You know, it's like. They've got variations on a theme. Yeah. He's like, they've got their Budweiser. We've got, you know, Cavassier or whatever. <laughs> I probably mispronounced it. But yeah, I, Ice-T said that exact same thing to me. So, it, you know, because I guess Corn is another band that sort of skirt the line between heavy culture and urban culture. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they could probably be a little bit of a gateway band for some hip hop and rap fans. Yeah. Not so much country, but. No. Hey. Though Jonathan Davis is doing that country album. Oh. That whole tribute to the Bakersfield sound, the old country, not country okay, pop, good, you good. know, pop with a southern accent. Good. So thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Loudwire podcast. Remember, Korn's new record, The Serenity of Suffering, is available October 21st. Go out and get it. As for us, visit Loudwire.com. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. All that great stuff. YouTube. On YouTube, of course, if you know you're not listening to this on YouTube. If you're listening to us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Hit. Hit that it. button. Give us a thumbs up, a nice comment. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe so you get the Loudwire podcast every time we put out a new episode. Follow me, Graham. Graham Wire on Twitter. I swear I'm a good follow. I really am. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Play Dugan. Play <laughs> Dugan.